Hello there. Before we get started, I need to tell you about three things. Number one, Vanishing Ink Points. Vanishing Ink Points is now live on the website. You'll earn points for every pound or dollar you spend. You can redeem those points on downloads, merchandise, discontinued decks, gift cards, all sorts of things. You can find out the details on the website. Second thing I need to tell you about is Vanishing Ink Plus. This will give you Masterclass Live every Sunday, Showtime once a month, and free shipping on every single item, no minimum spend. So find out all the details on the website. Finally, I need to tell you about Connected Live. It's this Saturday, virtual magic convention devoted to virtual magic. Carissa Hendricks on character. Danny D'Ortiz deconstructing the entire virtual show that he has been performing for the last few months. We've got Matt Gilmore, who made and is the Boy Who Cried Magic trailer, showing you videography, how to get the best out of your setup. Whether you've got an iPhone or a high-end DSLR, he can help you make the most of what you've already got. Loads of other people. It's going to be an amazing day this Saturday, March 20th. Find out all the details on the website. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. No. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Insider, brought to you as ever by Vanishing Inc. My guest today, we've just been discussing this, could be classed as an underground legend, but if you say underground, then you're not really underground. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Chris Power. Chris, how are you this morning? I'm fine, thank you, Damien. Just uh, starting a slow start today for me. Usually I'm up very early, but... um. I thought I'd give myself the morning off just to sort of get in the zone, so to speak, oh, to talk to you. Well, <laughs> thank you for, for having a relaxing morning to warm up. Um, the show's 30 minutes. There's no time for pleasantries. What's your origin story? You have 38 seconds. Blimey, 38 seconds. Well, I'm an amateur magician, never been professional. Uh, I've had a part-time uh, kind of approach to it, but it's kind of affected my life you know, greatly just by meeting lots of nice people over the years through conventions. And um, my the main part of my professional work is I was head of the audiovisual uh, department in the British Museum, which is in Bloomsbury. So that was conferences, uh, presentations. I started life as a projectionist, really, uh, my in that world. And, you know, that, that brought my bread and butter home. <laughs> And I could indulge sure. in other things. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. And, and one of the other things you indulged in was uh, getting that bad Di Vernon bloke to see your magic. And he said, when he does something, he puts me in the mind of Leipzig, Molini or Daly. You can't see a thing. His magic is masterful. That's nice, isn't it? When did you meet him and what did you show him? It was, um, I think it would have been about 1988. And I was just doing my act as was then, which is kind of the same things I'm always doing. I'm just trying to improve upon certain things. Takes a long time. So my signature things, I suppose, are kind of card under box. I should say that Mm -hmm. I learnt most of my magic. Before I really met magicians, I was reading some books of of working in pubs and bars. So you've got a ready-made sense of relaxation. So when you first go out into the Magic Castle close-up room, especially when you you know that you're going to meet someone like Vernon. Um, in fact, I heard him before I could actually see him because he came into the castle and I could hear him before he got to the room. So it was quite, you know, imp- quite a moment because 
six years before I'd been reading expert uh, car technique and reading the stories in there so for him I think he was just being kind to me encouraging but yeah no we did he's he's a nice guy I found him a very nice man he he famously said that every person starting in magic should pick one trick and make it an identifying trick with them do you think you deliberately did that with coins through silk not really but I was very I remember the first time I saw the effect, which was in 1982 at um, a FISM in Switzerland, mm -hmm. Lausanne, and he, uh, uh, Michael Amar was performing it, and he came joint first with, um, oh, the name escapes me now, but uh, he's on, names escaping me as I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Opus, and for any younger listeners opus was a british magazine that you ran with aforementioned jj and uh ian keeble and britland now in my research for this um interview i found this fantastic quote on the magic cafe concerning opus magazine you ready really dull and written by amateurs in the worst sense of the word who cannot form an opinion so prattle on mindlessly in a pseudo intellectual fashion definitely not worth getting he was one of our best subscribers as well. I don't know what happened to the man. <laughs> as I understand it, at the start of it, you were all a bit miffed that every magic magazine was so gushy and glowing about everything and their reliance on advertising dollars meant they never sort of slated anything and you wanted to do a magazine with editorial independence and blunt reviews and yes. honesty. How, how did it start and what were those early days like? Well, the early days... It literally, it has to be a, sort of a generational thing, I suppose, in a way. It's like we did get together in a group and said, Ian wanted to do some writing for the first year mm -hmm. and he was very disciplined and, and got old. David Britland was, you know, always a good backstop to go to. If you want to ask a question about anything and sort of verify, um, he's the man to go to. And uh, JJ was out there working sometimes for International Magic. It was street performing. He was doing all sorts of things. So there was a sort of broad... I wanted to do some illustrations. You know, I'd, I'd been to art college at the beginning of my career. But I, I, I always look now, I always look at really Opus as being more of a fanzine rather mm -hmm. than a... You know, we called it a magazine and it was grand. But it changed slightly and we, I was experimenting... We were always up against deadlines, and as you know, any kind of deadline, uh, and that's why it became a little bit irregular, but the reaction from everybody except the person who gave that quote, I think we might have even made that quote up ourselves and sort of put it up somewhere, <laughs> you know, that's the kind of... That's the kind of clever marketing tactic we used, you know. And so by the end, there were five volumes published... 60 issues so that's that should be five years but it took yeah. about 20 years however we got to meet so many interesting people on our travels and just like the magic for me i could it enabled me and still does to a degree when we're allowed to to go anywhere in the world with a few coins, a silk, and some cards in my pocket, very easy to pack, and 
I've been all over, you know, a lot of different places, different continents, just because of that. So if you turned up in a city somewhere, you'd mm -hmm. always find a magic club. So you literally, yeah. it's one of those things. And then the majority of my friends I have now have all come via magic. I mean, it's incredible, mm -hmm. you know. That's enabled me, a, a, you know, a great deal. And Opus was the same, except it was a slightly different approach, and it was there was an appetite for people at that time. But it's 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 an awful lot of work when sure. you you know. And and now I, I've often you know, and I've talked to JJ and other people now. Uh, I obviously wouldn't do it in exactly the same way, but. As you can see, like I've got some books scattered about. My house is, every room's got books. I love books and I'm a collector, you know, of, I like the book as an object, sure. as something you can handle. A beautifully produced book or design book or bound book or the, the, the design, I, I'm always fascinated by that. And that was my sort of first, even before magic, that was my first sort of thing. You know, I was always the kid in the class that could draw pretty well not the best but you know pretty good and then mm -hmm. i could see things the juxtaposition between images and stuff so that's what i was playing with that was my reason and i was very happy to also come up with the name through various things because i remember going to a meeting once you know we we're about to start and said oh, well, I'll, I'll think of a name because the name's important and it should mm -hmm. be you know just very simple very and go through and i came back and i said Okay, and there's this table, there's David Britland there, JJ, a few other people spotted around, my friend Shiv Dougal, who is a, he is that kind of underground magician that we talk about, yeah. although although he, he is out there, so he's not even technically underground, but we like to call him an underground magician. And I said to everybody with bated breath, it's like approaching a performance, I said, okay, I've decided, here's some sketches, here's some concepts for the things, think, think, here's Diverne and Larry Jennings, here's an illustration, it'll look kind of like this. The production values will be, you know, I was pasting up stuff then and just photocopying it, all sorts of experimental Physically things. cutting out. Yeah, physically cutting out things. It wasn't until, it wasn't until the sort of end of kind of volume two era as we got into volume three that it became, I started using PageMaker. Right. But it was still very much a big desk with loads of bits on. And mm -hmm. when I was putting some of it together at work, I'd be I'd be taking what you can do so easily now. It's like music, or the, the tools are so easy now to use in some senses. However, you know, getting a graphic design program doesn't make you a graphic designer. You know, you can overuse it. However, you know, in those days, I would take, you know, the Opus logo itself. I would take uh, an indelible marker and I would write it very small, and I'd let it bleed out on cartridge paper. And then I used to go to our photocopier in the museum. And it's just to blow it up and see what it looked like. You know, it's a bit like a spray can. So it's that kind yeah, yeah. of experimentation I was talking about. Um, so that in itself uh, gave me, you know, the magazine enabled me to get, make, make even more contacts. And, you know, I met so many people, Albert Goshman, Channing Pollock. I mean, I, the list goes on. You know, we touched them at some point. And everybody yeah. seemed to like it. And Vernon, Billy McComb was the one who was feeding Vernon the Opus magazine. You're saying, oh, I like this magazine, it's great. Oh, yeah, I like that. Because there was generally, I suppose, at that time, 
part of the audience reading it, there was a kind of rebelliousness about it, of trying mm -hmm. to be controversial. But, yeah. of course, what happens is, you know, if you've got nothing nice to say about someone, I usually say, well, don't say anything, because there we had some scrapes over the years by sort of trying to tell what we thought of the truth. Is this, it's, 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 it's thought of as nothing with you know, the press and the media now, but you can see what well, you can't please everybody. Of all course of, not. You know, obviously. And, and then once you get the realization, cause you try very hard, you just go, well, I'm not going to please everybody. You know, some people don't like what I do or don't enjoy something. I mean, it's more to do with them in a sense, cause it's not an ob magic or conjuring and this kind of thing is it's not it's very subjective it's no you can't have a top 10 but we all have different it's like desert island discs going on that yeah, and choosing yeah. your favorite bits of music you know that's a game i've played but it's changed over the years you sort of you know how can you judge someone like uh divernum with tamaris or david williamson with ascanio or all of mm -hmm. these or danny dortez with you know you you can't because they're all individual individuals that have brought all their life experiences to things and you know that's what i find fascinating personally that kind of someone said to me and i've a couple of times people have asked who was your main inspirations uh who did you most want to be like and i've met lots of people nothing that i've done has come out of nothing i didn't just come out although i joke oh well i, I found that it's in scott's discovery of witchcraft actually if you look carefully you know or great and magic or something but um you you just get all this information around you put it in and i said well to be honest i've met all the weird i've met a great deal of very very good magicians and very interesting people you know jim steinmeier and you know fascinating conversations with him and all sorts of people however the, to these people the answer i would give is so well actually although i've been inspired and influenced and everything by all these people i always just wanted to be chris power because that's to me that is the key you just you know goshman said uh you know who who became a friend it's like he said the magic is you you know hmm. and that's kind of the essence of the great film stars or theater stars or musicians it's like it's got to come via that person they're yeah. the people that make it and in my own very tiny way, in a very tiny branch of, of, of this world, you know, that's, that's quite nice to have achieved, you know, even a, a, a small, sure. small part. For sure. Now, I, was, I couldn't find out whether it was you or International that um, kind of brought him to the UK initially, because, again, for younger viewers, Opus also ran um, some very well-respected conventions. Um, where Williamson was. Do you remember yeah. whether it was you or International that got him over first? It was International because JJ, who was a very good friend of Ron McMillan, he said, you mm. you know, we, we saw David in um, Osnabrück or I can't recall the exact actual place. And he was doing a lecture and we were there. And I remember going back to JJ. So you've got to see this guy because on the trip there, we were going, apparently there's some American guy who's got kind of coins sewn into his jacket that he taps and everything. It's meant to be very good. And of course we sought him out and saw him. And it was just like being a kind of layperson again because the facility that he had and of course, you know, 
the having the coins sewn in is what people were perceiving magicians were perceiving and and so he's fantastic you know so and he said to ron ron mcmillan that is said you've got to book him in london for your convention and 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 and, and that began he he was already you know doing stuff in america and he was starting to do things in europe but that was that was one of the moments that actually brought him into a bigger you know arena still and yeah. he had a unique talent and he everybody it's like everybody goes through certain phases where they get influenced you know these days for card magicians or certainly at one point uh guy hollingworth was you mm -hmm. know he wrote a book uh and you know for me one of the things i say is that if you haven't written a book then you know that's that to me is the mark of of you know what you are not not hundreds of books different things you contribute but when you've distilled it of where your journey has been and what you do then that kind of validates some of it you know and due to my extreme laziness and just not able to keep it you know i've got hundreds of different notes and they're all on backs of envelopes but you know some people are saying you've got to put something down and i say well i don't really know i don't i do the same kind of stuff but it's the people, you know, I, I, I would, if I were to do a book, it would be more like a commonplace book. It would be full of interesting things. People, you know, the people I've met are more interesting to me than to you. what I've done. Yeah, it's, and but, but, but as examples to point out their different bits of wisdom and the things of what they've done. You know, right? John John Carney is a great writer. I mean, he's he's one of the best sleight of hand magicians in the world, in my opinion. You know, and and one of the the best thinkers mm. but there are lots of people now that i don't know and i'm thinking well there's a whole new set of people now so yeah. i kind of i i kind of i'm happy to sort of settle into that almost elder statesman kind of thing although i'm not that old but i knew at the magic circle when i was waiting to see guy i think i'd gone down to the magic circle and this guy a young guy came up and I could see him. I was just looking at the magic posters and he said, um, excuse me, do you mind if I just sit down here? And I said, no, no, please help yourself. Uh, and then he, I was looking at the poster again and he said, excuse me, are you, are you Chris Power? And, and that second I went, oh my God, I've become all the people that I used to ask. And I think, oh <laughs> God. And in, in an instant, I thought of all the time that had gone because I used to ask, Fred Robinson and Eric Mason and people like that and uh -huh. you know they were my sort of first real influences because there was a bar just opposite the old magic circle when it was in Cheney's Muse oh, not Cheney's Muse no the the, the um, was it no it was Cheney's Muse yeah, yeah. See, sorry mate, if Arms, I remember right? the Marlborough Arms yeah was yeah. I saw so many good magicians there Ricky Jay uh, Barry Richardson. I mean, just the, there were so many people, and it was like a little gathering spot. You could always guarantee you'd see someone passing through. They would always make a beeline for the Marlborough mm. Arms. So I saw a lot of great magic and met a lot of very interesting people. Who are some, talking of, of magic books, what are some magic books that you think every serious student should read? Well, I can only go by what I've read. The Amateur Magician's Handbook by mm -hmm. Henry Hay is certainly 
it's 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 like it's like it's like films you'd rewatch because there's more every time you read it there's more and the first book i ever got was expert card uh expert of the card table no not expert expert card technique i always think <laughs> yeah um that was your first book that was my first book but Ooh, that's I also, quite a tough <laughs> yeah yeah but also i got because i knew when i when i got it i knew that i wouldn't be able to sort of it seemed like a physics textbook to me from <laughs> school and I thought, oh, I need something. And I also bought a copy at the same time of Harry Barron's Card Tricks for Beginners or something like that, which is up, up on my shelf. I've got a nice first hardback edition of it. So between those two books, and the thing about Expert Card Technique is it's like it's full of stories and it's written in such a wonderful language. And, and the story behind the book and, you know, I remember talking to Gordon Bruce and many other people, the stories behind that book, uh, who's credited, who's not, what really happened with Hugh Gardner. I mean, there's there are people who know those stories so much better than me. But for me, I, I was just obsessed with that book. My original copy is just like the binding fell apart. It's like now in yeah. the, the covers come off now and there's I can read the pages, but I don't throw it away because it's. I've got better copies to read now, and also on the internet you've got access to it. So that and um, some of Tamaris's books, they're, they're you know, Paul a Paul. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm putting some because I've just sort of started experimenting with Instagram, which I don't find particularly intuitive. However, I've got a few followers now, and like I say, through Gumroad, which kind of mm -hmm. seems to be some people were telling me you you're i mean forgive me but you know you're familiar with the gumroad thing and everything and then some the first lecture i've put on gumroad i the 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 before the fism madrid so that's on there and now i've got permission from um martin mcmillan and uh, a few other people and i'm working on a project where there there is one other performance which was for international magic where i did a lecture and so yeah. i'm i'm just working now with a very uh, guy called tim brand who's a, a fantastic audio kind of he's cleaned it up and with his friends you know people that i know they they've kind of cleaned it up they're doing me a favor and what i'm doing is i'm putting a director's commentary on it <clears throat> and looking at myself so you can watch it raw and then you can watch it with me commenting on my younger self doing stuff because the if you can bear it it's always very difficult for us to look at you know ourselves and it's very uncomfortable you know i'd recommend it to performers to look at yourself especially if you had some longevity to actually see <coughs> what you were doing because then you see the it's like i was mentioning about coins through silk when i first started doing it it was over very quickly and you go, oh, what I was trying to do here, you'll say, is I was trying to do this. And you can see already the way I'm looking around, because I was very interested at that time in, in kind of the power of the gaze, you mm -hmm. know, of how you control people's eyes and how you, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and I find that, which I did a little bit on Rough Cut, but on this, it's, it's a very, you can explain to people, you know, so imagine if you'd had a video now of Leipzig or Daily talking about 
what he was doing. So, yeah. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that was in a bar. That was just around the corner in Chicago from. And you're going, wow, really? So we know now that he was in Chicago for He's doing right, that. Right, So it's yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. And, uh, and and I'm hoping that will be up on Gumroad by the end of March, you know, which... And in that, I do another routine called Your, Your Card, My Card, Anybody's Card, which is my sort of... Eric Mason was a fantastic bar magician and a magician, full stop. Also an artist... And he had these cards that were kind of written on and they looked comic booky and everything, which is another passion of mine. And and I started to I used that as a structure to build to try and regiment uh the card under box and stuff. Because mm-hmm. I could do it in bars spontaneously, but when you walk out in front of an audience for the first time and they're cold Yeah, yeah. It's a different matter. Yeah. As I always say in in the bits of patty, you know, one of the things I say you know, and also just to let you know, I say, the more you drink, the better this stuff looks. Gets a little <laughs> laugh, you know, and, and actually, that, there's truth in that, you know. It's true because as well, if yeah. you've got, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, interesting about the card on the box in the bars because I heard a story about Gordon Bruce, and he would he would want to be doing the trick and move everybody to a table that was suitable for him to do the trick on, and then wait for like 45 minutes chatting about other stuff and then go into yeah. it so he could like, get to the position that he needed to be. I used Probably to use, in the mole yeah. <laughs> No, no, I mean, yeah, Fred Robinson said, you've got to meet, there's a guy who can put a whole deck of cards under a, you know, as a magician. I thought that was fascinating because oh, that's a very interesting idea. Um, and then I met him and we became friends and and, and so it was. But it's it's interesting, the psychology of something like that. You've got to be very careful. It's this whole thing about once people know something, it's like using a topic for every single thing you do. Very quickly, they can see a pattern. It's like using culling yeah. for every single thing you do. So I'm aware of these habits that we fall into <clears throat> of relying on certain things. And then no matter how good you are, eventually, if you look at them, you can see the pattern there. But again, it depends on the audience. You know, for magicians, it doesn't really matter because you're paying to look at that kind of thing and there's there's more analysis there. And of course, if you're working, your audiences should be changing. So it doesn't, you know, but you're learning, but your audiences are changing. So you say, well, that's not a very good thing. And I used to use, in fact, that tactic you were talking about of, of, of not doing something instantly which came naturally to me in, in getting bookings when I, I worked at the Magic Moment restaurant and then, and then people used to ask me to do dinner parties. And mm-hmm. in the negotiations, you know, which is always a difficult part for, well, certainly for me, but for a lot of people, it's like, how do you say, well, I'll charge this for this, you know? And I, I, would, yeah. I would talk a good talk, but I purposely wouldn't do any magic. And I remember one particular couple that I went to work for, <clears throat> excuse me, and by the time, I met them about four times, they were very hesitant, and then they agreed to it, <clears throat> sorry, a bit of a frog in my throat, we'll just start, <clears throat> I can shut this out, yeah, we'll get it in, so that, 
teasing of uh, an because I considered them, even though this was the sort of financial negotiations, the, the practical logistics of doing a show, I considered that they were an audience as well, but except they had different expectations and, and they yeah. didn't quite know. And I think I had four meetings in various times just to establish, you know, because they, 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 they wanted to book me. But by the end, and as they were leaving, uh, and I said... Oh, I, maybe I should do something just to show you, you know, because obviously I, I realise I haven't. And I just vanished a coin at the table for them. And again, well, that's the kind of thing that I do, but it has to be done at the right time. And, it's, uh, and, and then and it just developed. And you could see the relief. And they go, behind their eyes, they go, like the Magic Moment restaurant, they go, oh, thank God for that. He can do something, you know. <laughs> And you can stretch an audience. I mean, I don't believe just going, well, if anybody's seen me perform, it, it could take me as long as this podcast just to get the cards out and talk because now it's it's very interesting to me that, that psychology of, you know, it's, it's not it's, it's not even psychology particularly. It's, it's wrapped up in all sorts of things, you know. Yeah. The perception of, of people, of you. For sure, for sure. And how you can control that. Chris, we're out of time. We always end the show with four quick-fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. Favourite pizza topping? Cheese. Favourite movie? 2001. Favourite person? Favourite person? Favourite yeah. person or people who make music? Ah, interesting one. <laughs> I like heavy metal. Deep Purple were my go-to people in the early days. And, uh, and finally, finally, who would you rather fight? Uh, one massive Andy Gladwin or a hundred tiny Joshua Jays? Mm. One massive Andy Gladwin. Because numbers will always overwhelm you. Fair. We're out of time. Chris Power, thank you so much for giving me so much of your time this morning. I really appreciate my it. My pleasure, my pleasure. Thanks, Damien.